Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. We welcome you to today's broadcast, and I am so very thankful that you're in our listening audience today. I consider it a personal privilege and a blessing that you are in our listening audience, and I'm thankful to know that the broadcast is impactful and a blessing to you. You can always write and let me know that you are a listener to Words of Grace by addressing a letter to us at Words of Grace Broadcast, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or you can simply go to our church website, which is found at flintriverpbc.org. And there at flintriverpbc.org, you can find a variety of ways to get in contact with us. I'm always thankful to hear from our listeners, and I hope I have the blessing of hearing from you soon. two weeks on Words of Grace, I want to play a message that I delivered a week ago at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church entitled, Morning and Miracles. This sermon came from the book of Matthew chapter 14, and the first part of the message had to do with the death of John the Baptist and the reaction of our Lord to his martyrdom. As we will explore today, John the Baptist had been executed for preaching the truth, for calling a public figure out for his sinfulness. That led to his incarceration and eventual execution. And how the Lord, in reaction to this, obviously mourning the death 
of this dear man, John the Baptist, how he sought to withdraw for the purpose of praying to his father, something that he would do, I believe, to mourn that loss, but also in preparation for the next phase of his ministry as time began to draw near unto when he would be crucified. Because I got to speak about how our Lord reacted to the death of someone that he cared for, this gave us the opportunity to explore the concept of mourning and seeking the Lord as we mourn. At the same time, the second half of this message had to do with miracles that the Lord would perform as he is seeking to withdraw away and pray to his Father. Large numbers of people come to him, and they ask for his help. After he is done praying, he would rejoin the disciples as they were tossed in a ship on the Sea of Galilee. And as he does this, he does so miraculously walking on the water. And so after we think about and explore the concept of mourning, in the next broadcast, as we share part two of this message, we will consider some of the miracles of Christ as he fed people, as he healed the sick, and as he walked on the water. Here's part one of Morning and Miracles from Matthew chapter 14. I direct you this morning to the book of Matthew chapter 14, and I want to spend a little time with you today considering an eventful and interesting season of our Lord's ministry from this chapter, Matthew chapter 14. Now, as you're turning there, I'll say just a few things about the context and the backdrop of this particular chapter, the events that are taking place in this chapter. They're very sad, but at the same time, biblically significant. One of the most famous characters in all of the Bible has been executed, and word finally reaches the Lord Jesus of this man's execution. As I was thinking about that this week and reflecting on that particular reality just in and of itself, it was something for me to just ponder. Jesus knows the thoughts and intents of the hearts of men, and yet there are times that word reaches him and he learns something. And you can sit and reflect on that, and it will boggle your mind. How does Jesus know all things, and yet at the same time... Word comes to him. Well, theologians often draw the distinction between Jesus in his humanity and Jesus in his deity. He's virally God. He is virally man. He's completely God. He's completely man. He's truly God. He's truly man. And because of that, he knew all things. And yet at the same time, he would say he doesn't know the time of his coming, only his Father in heaven. Or, as Paul wrote in Hebrews, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He learned obedience. He learned. The God of creation learned. Well, in his humanity, he learned. I guarantee you his divinity never hungered or thirsted, and yet his humanity did. That's a mystery. It's a mystery. This is why Paul wrote to Timothy, great is the mystery of godliness. And that word godliness there doesn't have reference to you and I being holy people. Great is the mystery of godliness refers to God being manifest in the flesh. When God became a man, completely God, completely man, that is a mystery. You and I cannot understand 
how the God that created the universe by speaking it into existence, bigger than the universe, greater than the universe, unable to be contained, unable to be controlled, condescended to such a low estate as to become a human being. Word reaches Jesus in this chapter of John the Baptist, death. Today we want to consider Jesus' reaction to this and also learn lessons about the importance of spending time alone with God in prayer, something that we'll probably visit again together next week. But we'll also get to consider concepts such as responsibility, putting our duties over our own needs, as well as some awesome examples of God's sovereign power over His creation. And that's something that I really want to emphasize today. So if you're in a low spot in your life, and maybe someone who's watching today is in a low spot, a difficult spot, I think this message in particular is one that will be a great blessing to you because, number one, we learn something that we already know that we need to be reacquainted with over and over. When terrible things happen in our lives, and they will and they do, we need to go to God in prayer. And as we'll see from the life of Jesus, it's not a 30-second prayer. The only one with the power to do anything about the terrible things in this life is the one that can feed thousands with just a couple of fish and five little loaves of bread. He's the one that can say, peace be still to a raging storm. He's the one that can walk on top of the water when the storms are out of control. And he is the one that tells us, be not afraid, it is I. He is the one that says, why are you afraid? O ye of little faith. He is the one that tells us to be confident. And so I look forward to sharing some of these thoughts with you today. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Now, the end of which Jesus learns is the death of John the Baptist. I find it no coincidence that at the death of someone as significant as John the Baptist to Jesus that Jesus intended to be alone for a prolonged period of time. Notice this. When Jesus heard of the death of John the Baptist, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart, and when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the city. Now, as far as the death of John the Baptist, we conducted a series of study on the life of John the Baptist last year at some point, probably about this time. And so you're familiar, if you were here with us for that, with the life of John the Baptist. How John meets his ultimate end, he has the audacity, the biblical boldness, and the bravery to stand before Herod, who was a man of political authority, and tell him that what he is doing is sin. You see, this man Herod had taken his brother's wife. Now, We need that sort of Old Testament prophetic biblical boldness in the ministry. We need that. I made the comment this past Wednesday night as we were looking at the Sons of Thunder, James and John, how there were times that they were just bold. 
Now, there are some differences in the New Testament ministry and the Old Testament prophets. We preach good tidings of glad joy to all types of people. We publish the finished work of Christ, and it ought to cause God's people to rejoice. And the message that we have for the elect of God, the message that we have is not doom and gloom. It is not fear, but the message that we have is one of joy and peace and hope because We cry unto them that their warfare has been accomplished. Comfort ye, my people, saith your God, your warfare is accomplished. But there is a part of the gospel ministry when we need to don our camel hair, we need to put on our leather girdle, you guys can eat the locusts and the wild honey, but we need to prophetically stand and declare God's judgment upon this wicked and adulterous generation. The apostles did such as that. The preachers did such as that. We need to stand and declare that what is happening around us in this world is wicked and ungodly. And am I judging you? If I judge you, I condemn myself. There is a judge. And you better be far more concerned about his judgment than what I think about you or what you're doing. Because he is sovereign, he is holy, he is pure, and he is eternal. We stand and we declare that what men and women are doing around us in our culture is wrong, and we're not ashamed of it, we're not afraid of it, we simply say, this is what God says. You know, it's amazing how people in this country today, this will get you canceled if you're a public figure. It's amazing how people act surprised when Christians believe the Bible. Are, Are you surprised if a Buddhist believes the tenets of Buddhism? Would anybody be surprised at that? Would you be surprised if a Muslim believed what is written in the Koran? Nobody would be surprised at that. In fact, the people that are so outraged at us for believing the Bible pay lip service to those that believe the Koran. And I'm like, you guys understand, in countries where that is the rule of law, they throw some of these people off the buildings. But if a Christian believes the Bible, beep, 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 breaking news, tonight at 10... Another Christian canceled for believing X, Y, Z. Are you surprised when a Christian believes the Bible? It's not that they're surprised. It's that the God of this Bible exists, and they are in an enmity against him, and they do whatever they can to silence you. And they hate you not because of you. They hate you because of Christ. They hate you because of Christ. John is a lot like an Old Testament prophet. He wears the clothing of a prophet. He stands and he calls on men to repent. And one of the things that he does is he goes before Herod and he tells him it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. What you're doing is wrong. Now, when Herod hears this, he's offended. He is incarcerated. And then Herod's wife, that's not lawful for him to have, makes her daughter dance before Herod and then ask for John the Baptist's head in a box, in a charger. And so John the Baptist loses his life for simply saying God's word says this is wrong. Don't be surprised if that sort of thing happens to you. Don't be surprised. We use that as a metaphor. I'm going to lose my head over this. Proverbially, metaphorically, or one day perhaps literally, don't be surprised if being a follower of Christ invites suffering and persecution in your life. Don't be surprised. Do you want that? I don't want that. I like having an easy life. I like. Don't you like having an easy life? Do, do you sleep on 
a steel sheet at night? Or do you sleep on a cushiony mattress? Did you eat something yummy for breakfast today? Or did you chew on gravel? And we want to have an easy life, but we should understand that being faithful to Christ invites suffering, and that's what happened to John the Baptist. So John dies a martyr's death. He's beheaded for simply telling someone of authority what God's Word says. Jesus hears of his death. He departs then by ship into a desert place apart, and when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. Mark's gospel does a great job emphasizing this point, but whenever Jesus goes out in public, because people are so drawn to him, some people because they love him, some because they want a miracle in their life, some because they're hungry and they know that he feeds people, that there is always a great host of people surrounding him. Sometimes this number of people is so great that he has to resort to going into a house, shutting the door just to get away from people so he can function. And you remember there's a story early in the Gospel of Mark about these guys, these four guys that know Jesus is in the house and they rip the roof off of a house and lower their buddy who's paralyzed down into the house. They do that because you can't even get to Jesus. You just can't get to him. There's just so many people around him. And what's so beloved about that and beautiful about that in our prayer lives, in our calamities, in our struggles, in our sufferings, there are never too many people around Jesus for you to access him in prayer. That's beautiful. You don't have to go through a mob and climb on top of a roof and lower a guy down because through the Holy Spirit, you always have immediate personal one-on-one connection and access to Christ as you pray. You have personal connection with Him. And because of this great high priest who's touched by the feeling of our infirmities, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find grace to help, mercy in time of need. As Jesus goes about, there are always hordes of people around him. They're referred to as the host. They're referred to as the press. They're referred to as the throng. There are so many different words that the Bible uses to describe this great number of people, the multitudes who are always around Jesus. He departs by ship into a desert place, and you notice that he goes apart. And that's significant because when everything that happens in this particular part of the chapter has been completed, you know that Jesus, you'll notice rather, that Jesus goes to be alone once again. So his intent is to be alone. He gets in a boat. He goes across the sea. He lands in a desert place apart to be alone. When he hears of John's death, he intends to be alone. Now, I made this comment in the introduction, but when something bad happens or when we mourn, a 30-second solution isn't always adequate. When Moses died, and this is something that happened throughout the Old Testament, when someone died that was very important, people spend weeks mourning that person. When Moses died, 30 days, the children of Israel wept. And I want you to think about the context of that. God tells them, the 40 years are over. You've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years after I redeemed you from Egypt, from slavery, from bondage. I redeem you. I send you to Canaan's land. You don't believe my promises. And so you come back 
grumbling and whining that you're just going to go in there and lose military battle. And I say, fine, because of that, I'm not going to let you go in. Your children are going to go in, but you're not. And so everybody under a certain age got to go into Canaan's land at the end of this 40 years. But all of those adults who didn't believe the promise of God were going to die in the wilderness. 40 years passes, now it's time to go in. But Moses doesn't get to go in. Do you remember why? Because the second time when God commands him to give Israel water out of the rock, he says, must we fetch water out of this rock again? We didn't fetch it the first time, Moses. And so he hits it with a stick and then he hits it again and water comes out and God was displeased with him and says, Moses, you're not allowed to go into Canaan's land because you got a little too arrogant and you're dealing with this people. He dies. He dies. He gets to go up on the mountain and look over. He gets to look at what they're going to inherit, but he doesn't get to go in himself. And I'm resisting the temptation to go on a long tangent about the biblical symbolism there, but Moses represents the law. What does Canaan's land represent? The New Testament, the New Covenant. The law looks over into it, but it doesn't go in. So many beautiful examples in the Old Testament that paint a picture for us about realities that we know in the New Testament. Moses gets to look over into the land from the mountaintop, but he doesn't get to go in himself. They're literally at the border waiting to go in. Moses dies. And so what happens? If you have wandered 40 years in the wilderness eating manna, drinking water that was bitter that's made pure by throwing things into it, having water fetched to you out from a rock 40 years... Now you get to go in. But this man that's led you throughout these four decades has died. Part of us in our society would probably have the mindset, oh, that's terrible, Moses died. Okay, anyway, where are we going? There's a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's get in there quick. Sorry, Moses. We just, God bless him, man. He was a good guy. Anyway, what's uh, over there for me? I get to live in cities I didn't build, glean from gardens I didn't plant. Milk, honey, that all sounds great. All right, what are we waiting for? Shame about Moses, though. They wait for 30 days, a full month, before they go in, and they're mourning him. They're mourning him. A prolonged period of mourning. Now, I just want to tell you that if, you're, if you go through terrible things, you have every right to go through a prolonged period of mourning according to this Bible. I've known of two examples of men who were pastors who when people suffered loss in their life and it was debilitating to them and they spend weeks mourning over that particular circumstance, pastors who have told people that you just need to learn to get over it. And I just want to tell someone who would make such a ridiculously stupid comment to someone going through a trial such as that, that, sir, that is disqualifying behavior. Because when a person's heart is broken, Jesus never says get over it, does he? No. He's touched by the feeling of our infirmities. 30 days they mourn for Moses. They're not even kin to Moses. I guarantee you it would hurt more if you lost a child. It hurts more when you lose your mom or your dad than losing a figure that has led you and given you God's law. I know we should revere Moses, but that's your mom or your dad or your child. When you go through something as terrible as that, you have every right to mourn. Every right to mourn. 30 days they mourn Moses. 
You see this happen over and over in the Bible. When someone of notoriety dies that everyone respects, there's a period of mourning, and that period of mourning is fitting. It is right. It's proper. It is okay. You can mourn when terrible things happen to you in your life. A 30-second prayer solution isn't always adequate for your heart to heal. An old saying that I picked up decades ago, you don't get over some things. You don't have to. You do get through them by God's grace. You get through the fire. You get through it, but you don't get over it. And that's okay. We live in this world full of groanings. And we have this hope not that all of this will be taken away from us here. We have this hope that all of it will be put right when Christ comes again. Our hope is in that day. That's what we yearn for. That's why men like John the Baptist are willing to be beheaded for the cause. That's why these apostles are willing to be stoned to death, beheaded, crucified upside down, boiled in oil, dismembered, sawn asunder for their faith in Christ because they know that their hope is not in this world. You have a hope that's better. You have a hope that's better. Some of the problems that we experience in this life will mourn as long as we live because they're not going to be put back where they ought to be until the next world. But mark my word, and I promise you this through biblical certainty and authority, in that day, every wrong will be made right. Jesus himself, at hearing of the death of John the Baptist, goes to be somewhere alone. What do you think Jesus is going to do there? He's going to pray. He's going to speak to the Father. We see Jesus do this on a number of occasions. After his baptism, which began his personal ministry, do you know what the Lord does? He spends 40 days in fasting and prayer. At the death of John the Baptist, he goes to be alone to pray. He's going to be interrupted, and we're going to see how he responds to that. But he goes to be alone and apart to pray. In Gethsemane, after Passover in the communion services, Jesus goes out to pray all night the night before he would be crucified. He spends his time alone in prayer with the Father. When all of the disciples fall asleep, Jesus prays. In great agony, he prays. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, but he prayed. He communed with his Father. A prolonged season in prayer. That's what you and I need in moments of disappointing news or affliction or uncertainty. We need to spend time with God in prayer. Prayer is something that is so easily discarded by us. It falls through the cracks in our lives. It's something that we don't always remember to do, and it falls through the cracks. We might come to the end of the day, I didn't even pray today. What is wrong with me? And so you lay down in the bed, and you begin to pray to God, and the next thing you know, your alarm clock's going off because you fell asleep praying to God, and it's fine to fall asleep praying to God. There's a whole lot worse things in the world to fall asleep doing than praying to your God. But spend time with Him in prayer. Prolong seasons in prayer. I feel the best when I've spent a prolonged period of time praying to God. It lifts up your spirit. I really think that your brain chemistry is put back in a better place when you spend time praying with God. 
Physiologically, there's a benefit to praying with God. Spiritually, there's a great benefit in praying to God. You're conversing with your Father. You can speak to your Heavenly Father all day, each day, throughout the day. Pray to Him so much you don't even end with an amen because you know, hold on a minute, I'm going to be right back. To pray so often that we don't even need the amen because we're just pausing it. What an awesome thing that would be. Pray without ceasing. Pray always and never to faint. Jesus, at the news of the death of John the Baptist, goes into a place apart, I believe, because he's going to pray. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at MarchToZion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.